It's great being back with you. Uh, my name is Scott Luck. If you are new to our church, if you are a guest with us today, I have been on a 12-week sabbatical. I've had an extended uh, break from my uh, pastoral responsibilities, and so today is my first day back, and it's really, really good to be back uh, home in our church family. Yeah, praise God. So people that ask, you know, what, what have you been doing with your time over the last uh, three months? And I've just spent that time reading and uh, resting and kind of researching on something I'm working on and just working out and then traveling. And uh, Luann and I have just traveled all over the place over these last uh, three months. Let me, let me show you some, just real quickly, some pictures. Uh, we, we first, this, this past May, seems like a year ago now, uh, but we went to Lake Louise outside of Calgary, Alberta, in Canada. And uh, it's just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And uh, so we got to spend a, a few days up there. And then in June, I went on a sailing trip in the Gulf of Mexico with my brothers. And uh, I didn't get seasick, which was a miracle. Um, and, uh, and then in July, the Luck family got to go to Europe for a couple of weeks. And so we went to London and Paris we went to Switzerland. This is, we had just got finished paragliding in the Swiss Alps when we took uh, this picture. And uh, it was the most fun thing I've ever done in my life, paragliding, just unbelievable. Uh, but then we went on to, to Italy and then Santorini and then, and then uh, Athens, Greece, and then uh, came home. And we just had a blast and uh, it's really good to be back with you. And, and uh, one of the things I want to share with you, you know, if you follow us on social media, you know, we we posted, you know, the pictures of our travels, and uh, so you can kind of follow along with us. What's interesting about these pics, um, it, it makes it look like we had a perfect trip. You know, it makes, like, it, makes it, it gives the impression everything's perfect. Like the Luck family is a perfect family. You know, they got their lives all together. And, and I think there's something about social media that has this impact on us where we see a picture of someone and we automatically assume they're perfect and we wonder, well, why, aren't, why can't we have that kind of life? You know, why, why can't we have that kind of perfection? And I just want to tell you, church, that it wasn't a perfect trip. And, and most importantly, the Luck family is not a perfect family. We, we have our dysfunctions and our, our struggles just like everybody else. In fact, you know, there were times when, you know, we were exhausted. There were times when we were homesick. Uh, there were times when, you know, we were delayed and just frustrated, just sitting on a train for three hours and it's not going anywhere. Uh, they, they lost uh, or they delayed getting our luggage to us. And I had to wear the same pair of underwear for three days straight. You know what I mean? And I just, I just threw them away. So, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are times where we were frustrated with each other. We had tension in our family. But, you know, what's interesting is we didn't post anything about that. So you never hear about that. You don't see that kind of stuff. And, and so it's just easy to just kind of, you know, think about why, why can I have a perfect life? Church, there's, there's no perfection in this life. Did you know that? In fact, there's only one person who's perfect, and his name is Jesus. And, uh, and so I think that's just kind of a good reminder as we kind of, you know, as we live in this social media world that you're only catching a split second of a picture of someone's life, but you don't see the context around that. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? And, uh, and so we're so thankful to be able to go. We just uh, are so glad to be back. And I want to thank our elder team for allowing uh, me to take this, uh, this sabbatical and really encouraging me. Uh, to take it over the past few years. So I just want to thank them. And, and I really want to thank our staff team. They just did a tremendous job filling in the gaps and, and really taking on extra work so that, so that I could be away. And they did a tremendous job. Would you just give them a round of applause today? 
So, you know, I go away and things get better around here. So I don't know exactly how to take that, but, um, but they just did a tremendous job. And I want to thank all of you for your, your love and your encouragement and your support uh, during this time. And, and I, I want to say I'm glad to be back and I am rest and rested and ready and refreshed and, and just uh, raring to go. So excited um, to be back with you. Now, they told me I'm preaching today, so hopefully I haven't forgotten how to do that. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, because I want to I show you just something in that passage really quickly um, that kind of sets up what we are going to be, you know, kind of seeing a little bit later in the service today. As Pastor Adam mentioned, this is Celebration Sunday. And so this is the day we, we celebrate all that God has been doing uh, in the life of our church family, especially our ch children's and student ministries. And, you know, Jesus said something interesting in John chapter 5. I've always been intrigued by this, this one statement that he makes. And he, he, he says this, he says, My father is always working, and I'm working as well. Now, typically when we think of God, we don't think of him working. We, we don't really picture those two things kind of coming together, that God is at work or God is working and uh, so what, is, what does Jesus really mean? That my father is always working and I'm working as well. What is the work of God? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the work of God is the work that God is involved in all the time, continually. And that work is drawing people to himself. It's the work that, that God does in speaking to us, in revealing himself to us, in you know, working in our hearts, softening our hearts to draw us into a relationship with himself. Now, what are the evidences of God being at work? How, how do you know when he's working in someone's heart? Well, those evidences are pretty simple. Personal faith and tangible repentance. Now, I didn't say perfect faith and I didn't say perfect repentance because, you know, we're not going to be made perfect until we die and go, go home and be with Jesus. But, but, but what I am saying is there's an authentic faith. There's an authentic repentance where you encounter God and your life was going this way. You experience God and now your life is going that way. It's a complete change of direction. That's what repentance really is. And it is it's formed out of, this, out of this faith. And when it comes to the work of God, every single one of us are at different places and different stages in God working in our lives. We're all over a spectrum, if you will. And some people, on one end of the spectrum, they're pretty closed to the work of God. They really don't want God speaking to them. They don't want God revealing uh, himself to them. They want to keep God at a distance. They don't want a relationship with God. Their hearts are hard towards God. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe that's your heart today. Other people are really open to God working in their life. In fact, they've invited God to speak to them, to reveal himself to them, and to show himself and his love and his grace to them. In fact, that's who we're really celebrating today, right? 19 people coming forward to be baptized today. Isn't that amazing? Praise God um, for that. And so what, what we know is that, that baptism is an evidence of the work of God. That's, it's an outward sign. God is working uh, in this place because that's not something human beings can engineer. 
It's something that God does. He uses flawed, imperfect people, you know, like us. But, uh, but it's really the work of God. But here's, here's the thing, I, I, you know, I don't want you to miss today. And it's this. You know, you're going to see a lot of, you know, uh, elementary and middle school and high school uh, folks being baptized today. But here's the thing I want you to really grab onto. It's not too late for God to work in your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you've been or what you've done or who you are. It is never too late to say yes to the work of God in your life. It's never too late. He loves you and he's working to draw you into a relationship with himself. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, when you consider human history, you know, you think about how many people did some pretty significant things in the later years of their life. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like Hank Aaron, you know, he was, uh, he broke Babe Ruth's home run record, 715 home runs. Do you know how old he was? He was 40 years old when he broke that record. Isn't that incredible? I, I think about the astronaut John Glenn, who went up into uh, his last mission, with the space shuttle Discovery, they orbited the Earth. You know how old he was? Oldest person ever to be in the Earth's orbit, 77 years old. Isn't that incredible? You've never heard the name Gladys Burrell. Gladys is a cancer survivor. She ran her first marathon at age 86. She ran the Honolulu Marathon at age 92. Isn't that incredible? That is amazing. And then I think about our own president, Joe Biden. You know, when he runs for president, he's in 2024, he's going to be 150 years old. Isn't that, I mean, that, that is absolutely incredible. Um, so it's just not too late. Just, just a little presidential humor. Don't send me an email, okay? Um, everything's political these days, you know. So now, what's the, what's the point that am I trying to make? Here's the point. If you're not dead, God's not done. That's the bottom line. God longs to work in your life. He longs to show you his love and his grace. That's what he wants to do. That's his work. That's what he's doing it all over the world. You don't see it on CNN. In the midst of all the bad news that we're just bombarded with every single day, that's what's happening underneath the soil. One heart at a time, God drawing people to himself. Do you know that that's happening every single day? And he wants to do it in your life. Now, I want to show you Acts chapter 16 to kind of set the stage for what we're going to see in just a few minutes. And let me give you a little bit of context for Acts chapter 16. So the apostle Paul and his sidekick Silas are, they've been going all over the Mediterranean world preaching the gospel and planting churches. And they come to this city named Philippi. And they, they come across this, this woman who is demon-possessed. She is possessed by a demon. And this woman happens to be not only possessed by a demon, but she's a slave. She's owned by two guys who are, who are using her because of her kind of freakish abilities that come from her demonic possession. And they're using her as a revenue stream because they kind of set her up as a sideshow attraction and people give money and, uh, you know, just kind of see some of the exploits that, that she can pull. And so, so Paul and Silas come across her and they share the gospel with her. And not only that, but they cast the demon out of her. So now she no longer has but, you know, this supernatural evil spirit within her. Now she's free, but she no longer has this 
freakish ability. So the owners of this woman, they immediately go to the city authorities and they complain. They complain that Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel, number one, and they cast the demon out of her, number two. So the authorities have Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into prison. And that's where we pick up our story. And you see in verse 25, let me just show it to you. Luke tells us this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I don't know if you, you know, if you've ever been arrested for preaching the gospel, or what, what you would do in jail, but Paul and Silas, they, they used it as a worship service oppor- opportunity. They were just praising God, singing, and sharing scripture, and everybody in the prison was eavesdropping. Uh, everything that they were saying and doing. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now this is fascinating. Notice, notice the trifecta here. Okay, notice what's happening. There's an earthquake. The, the, the foundations of the prison were shaking the prison doors were opened, and then the shackles around the wrists and the ankles of the prisoners just completely dropped to the ground. What a remarkable turn of events. And that's another evidence of the work of God, because the work of God is setting people free. That's how you know God is working. He is setting people free. So, so what happens in the story, according to Luke, is the prison warden the guy, you know, the, the Philippian jailer, if you will, he lives either across the street or right next door. So he's, he's awakened in the middle of the night by this earthquake. So immediately his concern are the prisoners in the jail. And uh, so he goes to assess the situation. So he notices immediately that the prison doors are wide open. They're not supposed to be. He notices immediately that the chains and the shackles are laying on the ground. And he assumes the worst. He is scared to death. And immediately what he does is he concludes that all the prisoners were not just free, but they had escaped. So you know what he does? He pulls his sword out of his sheath and he holds it up and he's getting ready to run himself through it. You know why? Because the buck stops ultimately with him. If those prisoners escape, he's a dead dog. See, he's been derelict in his duty if they escape under his watch and under his care. And so he made the decision. He would rather kill himself that night than have his boss do it uh, early the next morning. Wouldn't you love to have to work for that HR department? You know, um, man, that's, that's a tough deal right there. Now, church, think about this for a minute. This is the story of all of us. Because the reality is we've all been derelict in our duty. We've all missed the mark. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. And so, and so the Bible says that we were created to have a relationship with God. We were created to know God as a friend, to be close to him, to walk with him, to love him and worship him. And, and that's why we were born. That's why we are alive. That's why we are walking the earth. We were created to enjoy communion with God. That's our purpose. But something happened. Something happened that broke that all across the world. And what it was, Adam and Eve sinned. 
The Bible tells us that they turned their back on God. They were created to have a, a relationship with God, to know God and walk with Him. And what they did is they turned their back on it. They, in essence, stiff-armed God and said, God, we don't want to walk with you. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to be in control of our own life. We want to call the shots. And the consequences of that were absolutely devastating because what happened as a result of that, their sin was passed on to every single one of us born after them. So that there's something in me and there's something in you that's broken and turned in on itself where we are kind of our default setting is to live not for God and in relationship with God, but against him. And the Philippian jailer has a sense of this, recognizes this, that he has sinned against the holy God, that he is, that he is failed that he has been derelict in his duty not not just as a prison warden but ultimately in his relationship with God and he realizes the price for failure is death so he pulls that sword and he get he's getting ready to run it right through his chest and you know what Paul says he says no don't do it we're all here we're all here and then he just kind of comes to the jailer does. And, uh, and he realizes something else is going on. Something remarkable is going on. God is working. God is working in their midst. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden what you see is a softening happening in the Philippian jailer's heart. I think he had been in that prison. I think he heard Paul and Silas sing. I think he had heard the scriptures that they had recited. I think they heard the gospel that they had shared. And I think something was happening inside this jailer's heart. And God used the earthquake. And God used the singing. And God used, you know, God used the, you know, the, the, the prison bonds falling off the prisoners. He used all of that. And he used the apostle Paul to get his attention. And he asked, and you see this in verses 28, 29, and 30. He asked the most important question that could ever be asked. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And you see the answer in verse 31. Paul tells him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Paul shares the gospel with him. You know, gospel just means good news. It just means I've got really good news for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll, you will be saved. Now, gospel or good news presupposes there's bad news, right? I mean, there's, you, you can't really have good news without having some bad news. And the bad news is this, that we all have turned our back against God. We've turned away from him. And the Bible says the consequence of that is, is death. There's an eternal consequence to it because we are turning away from an eternal God. So we are, we are separated from God as we've turned away from him and there's a chasm in our relationship with God. There's, there's, there's a rift in the relationship. There's brokenness in the relationship. And so what's interesting is this church is so many people spend their entire life trying to figure out how can I please God? How can I turn and get God on my good side? What can I do to earn his love in my life? And, and they conclude to themselves, oh, I, I know what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll go to church every single Sunday. Or I'll buy Girl Scout cookies. Or I'll just always help my neighbor in need. 
And the, and the thought process is this. When I die and I stand before God, he's going to see all the good stuff in my life. And he's going to have to let me in. He's going to be obligated to let me in because I'm so good. Look at all the good things that I've done. You've got to let me in. You owe me now, God. That's what a lot of people think. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says we could never do enough to bridge that chasm. There's not enough Girl Scout cookies to do it. There's not enough good works that you and I could do to bridge the gap. That's the reality. We can't on our own turn to God. We can't bridge the gap. We have to have help. We've got to have someone else do it for us. Salvation is never earned through human goodness or human effort. Could you imagine what heaven would be like if we earned our way to heaven? We would go around heaven comparing ourselves to each other. Well, I did more than you. Look what you did. I'm better than you. Look at all the things that I did. Could you imagine that? That's hell. That's not heaven. And, and so, so that's the reality is salvation is never earned by human effort or human goodness. And this is where the good news comes in. Because what's impossible for me and what's impossible for you is very much possible for God. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves in the giving of his own son. He gave his son Jesus to live the life that we were supposed to live to die the death we were supposed to die and to be raised to new life. And, uh, you know, you ask, well, why did he do that? He did that to pay our penalty so that we wouldn't have to pay. We wouldn't have to be punished. He took our punishment on us for himself and he did it. You know why? Because he loves you and he just wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to spend all of eternity with you. You see, salvation is not something you've earned. It's something you receive as a gift. That's what it is. And that's why the Apostle Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He didn't say, well, you know, you need to get your act together. You need to start doing a bunch of good things. He didn't say that because that's not how you get there, church. I know that's how kind of most of us kind of believe in America. We've got to earn our way, but it's not, it is not the Bible's way. And so the Philippian jailer called out to Jesus, Jesus saved me, and uh, his life was changed. His entire family's life, they believed in Jesus. And the Bible tells us that they were saved uh, as well. And so this is really good news for you and for me, because what that means is this, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for God to work in your life. It's not too late for you to say, say yes to God. And if you'll just say that, if you'll just call out to him, God will work and God will save you. And so that's what we see. It's just not too late to believe in Jesus. But second, let me, let me share this with you. It's not too late to be baptized. Let me, let me show you verse 33 because this, this is even more interesting. So, so next up in the story, he took them, he took Paul and Silas that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Now this is fascinating because Paul and Silas had been beaten. They had been flogged. They had been shackled at the order of the Philippian jailer. The jailer gave the order himself to wound these guys. And now the jailer is bandaging, washing, cleansing their wounds. And, and, and Luke tells us he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. 
So I can only imagine it going down like this. You know, they're, they're cleaning up his wounds. They got all this water around. And, and, the, and the Philippian jailer's thinking to himself, man, I've just believed in Jesus. I've just committed my life to Christ. I need to be baptized. That's what he's thinking. He sees all that water. I need to be baptized. And I love this about the jailer because, you know, he could have said, well, you know, I, I should be baptized, but I'm just going to wait until my life's perfect. I'm going to wait till I got my life all together. I got my life cleaned up, got my questions answered. You know, I'm going to wait till circumstances are perfect. You know, my family can be here, all, all that stuff. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that at all. You know what he says? I need to be baptized. He follows the New Testament pattern. Believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. And that's exactly what happens. And I think as we you know, think about the 19 that are being baptized today, 10 in first service, 9 in just a moment. Um, there's some of you, you need to be baptized as well, and you need to be thinking about that. Now, what, what does baptism mean? I think it's, it's very common for us to kind of think that baptism means that I'm going to do more and try harder and be better as a Christian. That's kind of what we think baptism means. I'm going to really buckle down and get my life together. And then, you know, that's, that's kind of what baptism reflects or points to. Church, that's not baptism. That's not what baptism means according to Scripture. You, you know what baptism is? Baptism is the post-game press conference for the winning team. Jesus has already won the game, and it's where you, in front of all the reporters and all the world to see, it's for you to stand up and say, you know, Jesus just won. I'm on his team. It's the post-game press conference. He's won the battle. I'm on his team. I'm on his side. Really, when you think about what baptism is, baptism is all about identification. Who are you? Identify yourself. That's what it's about. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because identity is the central question of our culture today isn't that fascinating we talk about gender identity and sexual identity and we talk about political identity and college football identity you know we talk about all that we, we talk about all that identity and, and and the reality is this those things are not the priority in scripture you know what the priority in scripture is your identity is in christ Christ is in you, you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been saved, that's who you are in Christ. And you'll see in just a moment, we will lower the candidates down into the water and they, they fall backward to imitate death. And they're basically saying, when Jesus died, I died. When he died on the cross, my my sin died. And then we raise them up to new life. We, ra you know, we raise them up out of water. And what you're saying is when Jesus was raised, I was raised as well. Now, if you've been a really bad sinner, we'll hold you under the water and get all that stuff out. Um, so just bear with us. We may have that today, I don't know. But that's really what baptism is. Jesus died, I died. Jesus rose, I rose. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. That's what it means. We really ought to do this at Greenwood Park Mall because it, des it deserves the, the whole world kind of seeing it. And, and so it's not too late to be baptized. If you want to be baptized, you need to tell us today. You need to sign up today. We'd love to talk you through that. 
so that you could be baptized, you know, in, in, in just a matter of weeks. And let me share with you one more thing. I've gone over just a little bit, but let me share with you one more thing. It's not too late to believe. It's not too late to be baptized. And then third, it's not too late for joy. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 34. It's not too late for joy. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And then notice this. And he rejoiced along with his entire household, his entire family rejoiced that he believed in God. They saw such a change in him. They rejoiced because they're like, man, God is real. If this guy got saved, then we believe in God and we're going to get baptized along with him. And his heart was filled with joy. You want to know why? No more guilt, no more sin to carry, no more shame to deal with. He had been set free. And the result of the grace of God working in my life and your life is joy, joy. And it's funny to me, um, you see another source of joy here. He brought them into his house and he fed them. He fed Paul and Silas. He showed them hospitality. They, he had Christian community with them. He experienced fellowship with them. That's a source of joy as well. Church, we need each other. We need each other. We can't do this by ourselves. And so joy comes from community. You know, um, Friday, August 18th, we have what we call, Luann and I are hosting what we call dinner with the pastor. You're invited to come to our home uh, to have dinner. We would love to have you. And uh, I'm not going to test your Bible knowledge or anything like that. We're just, we're just going to eat and hang out. That's all we do. You know why? Because there's joy in community. I'd love to have you. You can sign up through that QR code or you can sign up online. And so here's the thing, church. It's not too late to believe. It's not too late to be baptized. And it's not too late for joy. Let's pray together. So God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are, you are more real than even the chairs we're sitting in. So God, I just pray you would reveal yourself, you would show yourself to us in a very dark and broken, sinful world. God, show us you're the light, you're the way, you're the truth, that you are love. And I pray that you would just give us saving faith today we would be soft that we would be inviting you to come into our hearts to show us who you really are so we love you today we praise you today and all of God's people said amen